an A&E original podcast. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Hip-hop didn't invent anything. Hip-hop reinvented everything. First time I saw someone scratch, I wanted to do it too. <laughs> Straight up. Do not put your fingers on the record. Do not scratch my record. Okay, that was imperative. And that was the one and major rule dealing with Moms and Pops records. Do not scratch it. Do not put any fingerprints on it. What would, what, what would happen if I put a finger, fingerprint, fingerprint on this record? What would happen if I just moved the needle or, you know what I mean? And that led to hip-hop and turntablism. I remember one time my brother, me, and Gene and Grandmaster Flash was doing a party and the belt broke on the technique. Belt the belt broke. Yeah. So once the belt breaks, you cannot do anything else with the turntable. So Grandmaster Flash pulls the music down and gets on the microphone and asks, is there any females in the audience with a rubber band? So a girl comes up to the turntables with a rubber band and pulls the rubber band out of her hair, give it to Grandmaster Flash. Flash opens up the platter, puts the rubber band around the belt-driven turntable. And then attach it to the motor and boom, you the, got a belt. The you party the, belt. The, the party continued for the next couple of hours. In this episode, we talk to two legends from two different eras, two masters of the form, Grand Wizard Theodore and DJ Shortcut, as we explore one of hip hop's greatest innovations, the turntable. Born in the Bronx, raised in the streets from coast to coast and worldwide, these are the stories, the moments in time, the places and faces, the origins of hip hop. Hosted by me, Grandmaster Kaz. Let me give you a little historical context. Clive Campbell grew up in Kingston, Jamaica, where the dancehall DJ reigned supreme. He moved to the Bronx at age 12, where he fell in with a graffiti crew and adopted the handle Cool Herc. He began messing around with old funk records on his dad's sound system. As legend has it, Cool Herc became the first hip-hop DJ on August 11, 1973, in the basement rec room of his apartment building in the Bronx. His sister had organized a back-to-school fundraiser and asked Clive to act as DJ. Herc set up two turntables, a PA system, and introduced the world to a technique he called the merry-go-round, where he would use two copies of the same record to separate out the drum break and repeat it on a loop by switching between record players and recycling the beat. And so, hip-hop was born. Government name, Theodore Livingston, um, and um, I go by the name of uh, Grand Wizard Theodore. Grand Wizard, one word, two Zs, Grand Wizard Theodore, and um, the creator of the Needle Drop and the creator of the Scratch. We sat down with the Grand Wizard Theodore to talk about the art of turntablism. So tell me about the first days of the turntable, like as a musical instrument. Well, I didn't really um, experience um, the turntables until I seen Grandmaster Flash and my brother Mean Gene with two turntables and a mixer. That had to be like 70... 374, uh -huh. something like that. That's when I seen them with the two turntables and the mixer. I already got exposed to the to the graffiti artists. I already got exposed to the to the B-boys and stuff like that. And when I seen the two turntables and the mixer, 
that's when I decided that's what I wanted to do. I mean, the turntables that they had, they were half rubber, half wood, and <laughs> half and some other material that they don't even make no more. Ceramic. You know? And when I saw, once I seen that, man, that's when I realized that that's what I wanted to do. And that's when everything came full circle for me as, as seeing the turntable as the musical instrument. My name is Shortcut, Visible Scratch Pickles, Beat Chunky Sound, Triple Threat DJs out of San Francisco, California. And I am a turntablist slash DJ slash selector. Coming from the Bay Area, um, we have a big sound system history. When um, I was about 13 in my sixth grade dance, um, my first you know, my first school dance, and I got to see an uh, actual sound system when I walked into my cafeteria, and it looked like a mini rock concert setup. And um, just seeing that without a band, but just seeing this DJ in the middle just caught me intrigued. And, you know, I was there a little early to see how they set up and how they, you know, how they're preparing. And um, they got me inspired. And um, back then there was, you know, when I first started DJing, there was about a hundred mobile DJ crews in the Bay Area. And I'm, I'm pretty much a product of that. The first time I ever saw a record played on a turntable, I was about four or five years old. My mom had this large console in our house and it was a television attached to it. And when you open up the top, there was this long radio and then there was a turntable inside and records were 45s at that time. So it was a little disc that went over the needle in the top of the turntable and you would put the disc on and then put the 45 uh, record on. And records didn't, you couldn't just put the uh, needle on the record back then. You had to press the button. <laughs> the, the needle would lift up automatically. It would go to the beginning of the record and land on the record, just like a jukebox. And uh, the record had to play in its entirety. You couldn't lift it up, move it to another place, replay it because the needle would automatically just go back to its original base and then it would come back to the record and land right on the beginning. And that's why our generation has a, a better uh, acumen as far as music is concerned because we couldn't skip through the album. We couldn't skip over parts. We had to listen to the whole record. And then we turned it over and we listened to the other side. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My early, early days, man, I remember we had like the, the Kenwood turntables. And when I seen the Technique turntables, I realized that that was the turntable to have and stuff like that. When I seen DJ Cool Herc, he had these big turntables that were on steroids called Thorns. <laughs> no doubt, Thorns. And, these, and, and if, if Hercules was a DJ, this would be the turntables that he would use because these turntables were big, gigantic turntables. For they were, sure. And they were called Thorns. And these turntables were like... They was heavy as hell. Yeah. If, they, if he had to put a price on it back in the early days, it was like these were million-dollar turntables. 
And if you had a pair of thorns, you was like one of the gods elite, and stuff like that. Elite DJs. Yes, elite DJs. And just to be able to play on the, the, the Kim Woods and the, the, the Pioneer turntables and the, and the Technique turntables, I was just... Um, just so happy to experience that because a lot of DJs and a lot of people didn't really experience that. I scratched on the family turntable when no one was looking. You know what I mean? Because I knew, I, and I guess in hindsight, I kind of knew like, oh, this might be bad because I might be messing this up. And sure enough, I didn't know how how uh, delicate the needle or the stylus was on a, on a turntable. And um, yeah, man, I just remember breaking it. And, and then I came back the next day and then like, you know, when my mom would start playing records and then when it was time for me to wanted me to play my records, there was no needle on the turntable. So she had taken it off right after she had played it. And I get it now, you know? But then when my 13th birthday came around, I pretty much saved my money. And uh, I, I ran out to school, you know, mind you, I'm like, what, sixth, seventh grade? I went on the bus, went to the local DJ store and spent my birthday money on one belt-driven techniques turntable and a pyramid mixer. Like, you know, and then um, I brought that on the bus by myself. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't get uh, robbed for it, but um, I was just so determined to get that and bring it home and, and practice uh, scratching, because, you know, um, yeah, I was just so intrigued by it. The sound, 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 sounds of science. Now, most DJs, myself included, started with what we had in the house. Um, I had early realistic turntables, plastic with ceramic needles on them, and I only had one, okay? And I would play house parties with just one turntable and a stack of 45s, and we would put one record on, take it off, put another record on, take it off, put another record on, take it off. It was manual. It was no record to record, no cutting or none of that, okay? Um, these were cheap belt-driven turntables, meaning the platter was controlled by a rubber belt connected to a small electric motor like you find in a car engine. It was only meant to go in one direction. In other words, we had to bootstrap the technology. Being on the belt-driven turntables definitely taught me how to um, just have platter control and, you know, uh, I didn't know that there was a thing about, you know, you have to have slip mats, so I pretty much, I would cut the, the sleeve out of a, out of a record, you know, when you pull a record out of, you know, the, the plastic, I would cut that out and, and drill a hole in it just so I can get that slip, you know. I, like I said, I really didn't know what I was doing at, the, at first, but yeah, I was trying to, you know, that was just the fun part, just figuring it out as I, as I, as I go, you know what I mean? Then came the Techniques SL1200. It was actually the third generation of Techniques, groundbreaking direct drive turntable. The motor was connected to the platter directly instead of using a rubber belt. This meant that a record would get back up to speed more quickly once stopped, which was perfect for beat juggling and scratching. Then came the SL1200 MK2, the first turntable designed with functions specifically for DJs, a fader and pitch shifting. This is when the turntables was finally acknowledged as an instrument by the people who made it. By the early 2000s, turntables were outselling guitars. My recollection of the, you know, the technology, it's like, I look at it like, you have to change with the times. If you don't change with the times, the times are going to pass by you. I remember, the, you. I, I remember cars. I remember the cars from the 1900s. Now you got cars that drive itself. 
you know, cars that got GPS in it, Barker cars stuff. that you don't need, you don't need no no key to get in cars and stuff like that. And that's basically with, with DJing and turntablism, you know. I remember when my brother, Mean Gene and Grandmaster Flash didn't have no earphones. So we had to figure out how can we attach a mechanism to the mixer so that we can hear the record before we actually play the record. Because what we used to do back in the early days, you put the needle on the record and the darkest part of the record is actually the break part of the record. Exactly. And that's what we had to do. If you put the needle on the record, you can actually hear the needle playing through the groove of the record and stuff like that. And the beginning of the record, sometimes you just had to let it play like until you heard it and then stop it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay, there it is. <laughs> yeah. And then and then we had to cut felts, the little round felts, so that when you put the, the record on the turntable, the steel from the turntable won't mess the record up. So we were cutting up cereal boxes. We were cutting up old right, t-shirts, yeah. my mother's curtains. Um, Saran wrap. Yeah, and putting baby powder on the record so that we can get that that slide. That, that sli yeah. that sli <laughs> <laughs> so we can get that slide motion going on so that we can slide the record back and forth when it was time for us to... Um, play the record and and this is all the stuff that we had to do as a dj until these companies started coming out with with this you know what, what we needed you know we had to do it ourselves the break the break breaks the merry-go-round beat juggling crab scratching these are just a few techniques employed by the djs to separate out elements of a vinyl recording and transform them into a complete new entity i mean the flare scratch the crab scratch the autobahn the prism you know, the foundation scratches like transforming, chirps, stabs, um, even going back to what uh, Theodore did with the baby scratch. I mean, you know, and, and, and talking to all the pioneers, they're like, man, we never came up. We just did these. We just we didn't never came up with names for it. We just did it. Early DJs focused on the isolated staccato drum fills on soul and funk records. James Brown's Funky Drummer is one of the more recognizable sources, but the Honey Drippers and Peach the President and the Winston's Amen Brother have been used in literally thousands of hip-hop beats over the years. The search for rare, esoteric beats became known as crate digging. Even as production technology moved away from the turntable, hip-hop is still rooted in sampling beats and breaks from disparate music sources. That all started with the 1200. Crate diggers, you know what I mean? That that art form that uh, we all did back in the days, just trying to find new music or obscure music that other people don't have. Well, I remember going down to this place called Downstairs Records. Mm -hmm. This place, Downstairs Records, was actually in the train station. In the train station. When you go yeah. down in the train station, you actually see the record shop is right there. And you see the guy in there playing 45s, and, and you walk by, and you're like, this guy's sitting there playing all these 45s. He had a pinball machine there. I was like a little pinball wizard. If you hit 10,000 <laughs> 10, points on the pinball, he'd give you a free 45, yep. and then you buy another 45. I used to go down there and, and just play, you know, just buy 45s. Uh, I played a um, pinball machine and just win 45s and just bring them back up to my brother, Mean Gene, and Grandmaster Flash. Um, Sometimes you will go and, and, and see a, a James Brown record, you will, you will pick it up. You will see a Bob James record, you will pick it up. You will see a record that got some kind of African stuff on it. You don't know what it's on there, but you will end up taking you know, that record Africa and taking it home. Drums. Yeah, you see the <laughs> Incredible Bongo Band new album, you're just going to just pick it up and just, 
and just say, look, I'm going to I'm going to play this record. I'm going to take it home. So that's what we used to do. We used to go and just dig for records and stuff like that, man. That's why I was. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Golden Era. The late 70s through the early 2000s represents the true reign of the 1200 in hip-hop. The sound of a record being cut up on the turntable was present in a majority of hip-hop songs. The art form had grown into its own entity as DJs began releasing albums that were purely beats and samples, no rappers needed. In the 90s, the Bay Area became a hotspot for DJ culture, producing artists like Qbert and the invisible Scratch Pickles. You know, being in the lab with Qbert and seeing, like, you know, all the scratches that we when we would session, but then him coming up with the names for it, you know, something giving each scratch that we did, you know, identification. So, we, you know, we knew how to do it later. And, man, it's just, you know, I mean, you know, scratching has become its own language now, you know what I mean? And, uh... I was fortunate enough to see, um, in retrospect, man, it's just it's a it's a trip to see the birth of that from Jump. You know what I mean? I credit Q for um, for putting a lot of names to these scratches and and you know take kind of taking the secrecy out of out of scratching and, and letting it be known as a as a, a language that everybody everybody you know a lot of turntables speak now. I, I get a lot of my style definitely from you know being from the Bay Area. Uh, you know, being part of the Scratch Pickles, but at the same time, I got a lot of my style from the X-Men, from the Executioners. The X-Men, a.k.a. Executioners, the world-famous Beat Junkies, and numerous others honed their skills to be the fastest, most precise, and highly experimental. DJ battles were formalized in the still-running DMC competitions with featured DJs and breakdancers from across the globe. Well, I feel that a lot of DJs don't get the shine that they need and a lot of djs don't know how to get the shine they don't know that they should they should go out and make some mixtapes and stuff like that they don't know that they should they should do this and do that but dmc gave them a platform right you can take a dj that nobody knows and he gets on those turntables and do his thing that one night all of a sudden, everybody knows him. So DMC gave a lot of platform to a lot of DJs, man. A lot of DJs became world-class DJs, started riding on airplanes, started going overseas, started getting earphones and, and turntables right, and all this right, stuff and named yeah. after them, all because of the DMC platform. And thank you, DMC, for doing that, you know? 
Thank you. For those that don't know, DMC is the Disco Mix Club. It started out in the UK. Now it stands for Turntable Excellence. Every year it's a DMC competition, and they happen around the world till they lead up to this annual big world battle for the DMC. So a salute, like I said, to Christy and all the participants in the DMC. You know, I don't want to brag, but I do have a gold DMC Hall of Fame record hanging on my wall. Well, man, even before I was part of any of those crews, um, right out of high school, um, being part of the New Music Seminar uh, World Championship, which is one of the most prestigious battles next to the DMC at the time, it was the you know it was a head-to-head battle, and you know it's only 16 slots out of what a thousand entries that come in. That was dope to be you know, and this is the same battle that Cash Money won, Jazzy Jeff won, Mixmaster Mike, you know what I mean, and uh, just all the legends. I don't know, just my first trip to New York, my first trip to uh, just seeing, you know, going to the Bronx, going to Brooklyn, and just seeing, like, just the origins of everything and just soaking that whole vibe up. But being at, at a world championship and in, in the front row is Flash, Herc, Bam, Theodore, like, super uh, <laughs> intimidating, I mean, but, um, but it was it was dope, man. I was able to be in the world championship in 93, um, lost the first round because my needle skipped, but then the next year... I became runner-up, switched my needles out. Yeah, ever since then, I just caught the bug. I joined the DMCs, joined the DMC USA twice. It was a great time. You know, a lot of styles were still being developed. There was kind of like no blueprint yet to how everything was being done. But yeah, to be able to see the progression and, and see how styles were being developed at the time and now, it's dope to see how all that kind of carried over to the new generation. You know what I mean? The equipment that we are using is changing. The, the turntables are becoming more sturdier. The mixers are becoming more compact so you can get from one turntable to the other. Back in the days, our mixers looked like big giant microwaves. So it was like 10 feet between two <laughs> turntables. Turn you you know, you got to take a over. cab. You got to take a cab to the next turntable <laughs> and, and, and stuff like that. So now, so now you got DJs that can get to get to both turntables at a quicker speed. And then you got the, the new technology. You got needles that's coming out that's specially made for DJs that's for scratching. You got turntables that's specially made for that. You got the crossfaders that can take the vigorous workout that these DJs are doing and stuff like that. You got different DJs from different countries that think different from, from the next person. You got younger generation that's growing up that's thinking different from what... Kids. Yeah, that what I was, I, I was thinking from back in the 70s and stuff like that. So they're taking it to another level because people are trying to think outside the box. The producer. With the exponential rise of the DJ and changing music industry, we saw a moment in time where the digital capabilities could allow a DJ to press play on their set and pretend to work the turntables, all to a pre-recorded mix. The meaning of DJ began to change and still continues to evolve with and without various stigmas. Simultaneously, as music technology moved away from the turntables and toward digital sequencers, synthesizers, DAWs, and Pro Tools, the role of the DJ required a new set of skills. In fact, it became an entirely new role altogether, one we now know as the producer. In essence, the same concept, innovating sounds to move the crowd and create a platform for rappers. A DJ make the best producer because we are always mixing, we are always blending, we are always presenting music to the people. We know what make people dance, we know what not make people dance. Right. We're actually playing music for all different ethnic 
of people. So we have to make sure that when you produce something, you have to make sure that producing is 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 directed toward the certain people. You know, to me, the DJ's always been the producer because before the, the MC had prominence in hip hop, you came to a party to hear the DJ. The DJ was the star. The DJ was uh, the marquee mm-hmm. name. And until hip hop or, or rap became uh, prevalent in hip hop, the DJ was at the forefront of the movement. And he had to play for the MC. Once the MC came into play, the DJ, you know, he can't rap, can't, he can't rap by himself. You see what I mean? That's right. I almost miss the, the the element of being you know of, of of just you know random selecting of music and then maybe train wrecking a little bit you know what I mean like it's just it's it, it becomes so perfect and I don't know man it's just that that raw element of DJing I feel is kind of missing sometimes I think buying records is definitely one thing that keeps music definitely alive because like you know music right now it seems you know being able to download it you don't get the liner notes that come with it you don't get that element of really learning about the music and who how it was made who makes it down i mean you know some people don't even trip off that like who actually played what on what if they're playing anything anymore you know i mean like it's a lot it's everything's more you know more computer or or synth-based but even like just that's why i have respect for so much for uh musicians because you know being part of a band myself a turntable band at that you have a level of respect and an admiration for the folks that take their craft and when they get together with somebody else it makes something dope you know what i mean the dj represents the spirit of reinvention that defines hip-hop and in that sense the 1200 lives on in all hip-hop music learn about all the pioneers learn about the cold crush brothers learn about you know dj charlie chase tony tone graham was a theater the l brothers the fantastic five busy b starsky one of the first one of the first um solo mcs cool her um you know everybody has to learn where it came from in order to know where it's going i always tell my daughter man you inherited one hell of a record collection the DJ provided the soundtrack for hip-hop, the music that we've come to know and love as hip-hop music. He created the environment that hip-hop grew in because in order for us to get our hip-hop, we had to be there physically. We had to be at that party where that DJ was, in that park where that DJ threw that jam. And lastly, he changed the way we play and listen to recorded music. Not just the DJ, the hip-hop DJ. This is the Origins of Hip Hop, and we're out. And don't miss the Origins of Hip Hop television show featuring artists like Fat Joe, Ice-T, Eve, Ja Rule, and many more, premiering May 30th at 10-9 Central, only on A&E. This episode is hosted by yours truly, Grandmaster Kaz. Produced, written, and edited by Bennett Barbaco. Produced and edited by Rob Armjar. Written and produced by Clay Seneschal. Our associate producer is the lovely Emma Damakosh. And executive produced by Bennett Barbaco and Larry Adam. And for A&E, this episode was also produced by Aisha Jordan. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn. And executive producer is Jesse Katz.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 